0: <laughs> I, I, I insist that that little bit stay in the show. You know. That's going to be our,
1: <laughs> our cold open. <laughs> Welcome to Two Psychologists for Beers. I'm Joel Inbar. With me virtually here is my friend and co-host, Mickey Enzlicht. Mickey, how are you doing? I'm
0: doing very well, super excited about today, but uh not I'm excited for our guests, but I'm also excited because it's uh, the beginning of gardening season. And uh I'm I'm an intense gardener, especially with uh, certain kinds of plants, so uh, I'm excited, deeply excited.
1: You're saying you're you're expanding your weed empire this summer.
0: I am, you know, the Canadian government allows us to to have four plants. So I called my actually texted my my cannabis consultant and uh, he dropped off uh, one little baby OG, original gangster, another uh, BB, which is some sort of blueberry concoction. Uh, And I'm, you know, it makes me it boosts my self-esteem as a gardener because typically I suck. I do not have like a black thumb, but with weed, they they grow like weeds and very, very good. So I'm looking forward to uh, the products uh, in the fall.
2: This is the new making your own beer, is growing your own weed, it, like in states where it's legal now, I think.
0: Uh,
1: instead of getting into pandemic baking, Mickey's just getting into pandemic weed farming.
0: <laughs> I'm getting into pandemic getting baked. Uh, that's, uh, that, that's how I've turned things. Nice. Um, Mickey, would you like to introduce our guests today? Yes, uh, I'm like super excited because I'm, I'm definitely a, a big fan of theirs. Uh, we've got uh, the boys from Very Bad Wizards, so David Pizarro and Tamler Summers. Um, and uh, are you guys like the OG of academic podcasts? I mean, are you one of the oldest podcasts around?
3: There's one. There's one podcast whose name we shall not speak. That's a little older than ours, but but they're they're irrelevant. But
2: they're kind <laughs> of uh, they left academia. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so are you talking about partially examined life? Yeah, I wasn't. But gonna... you know, there's philosophy bites, and um, there there were a couple other ones, but they didn't talk about fucking dogs. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're trailblazers. So yes, Mickey, we'll take the compliment. <laughs>
0: Excellent. And how many years has it been at uh, very bad wizards?
2: 8. 8 almost. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. 8 years. And that, is, it, is it do you still have the same joy with it? Is it still fun?
3: Was it ever fun? It was it was always work, especially Wait. with this fucker. No. You know, we decided early on the minute this stops being fun, we like there's no point in doing it. It's not only fun. It's it's actually more fun. I don't know if you guys had growing pains. The first i'd say the first year or two for us we had a worse time than we we did now just because of like arguing
2: yeah yeah we figured each other out a little more than we had originally and we'd also figured out like the right the level of investment that we both want to give that we're both comfortable with each other giving (laughs) barely barely you guys have some rocky you have some rocky times ahead of you that's (laughs) all just to warn you. All
0: right. I look forward to it. But now, you know, uh, as a, as a listener of your show, it seems like every time you guys get into uh, a bit of an argument or debate, like it seems like it makes you feel good. Like, Oh yeah, we're getting back to this kind of this, this place. Yeah.
3: Well, see, it's not that kind of arguing that was hard, right? Because we've, we always argued that way and we like arguing that way. It was the, the, the bullshit about, I think, getting into a groove about what to expect from each other in terms of preparation, in terms of just various like housekeeping things was actually the the problem. I, I take it you guys are so old and experienced with, you know, like spouses and shit that you didn't, uh, you don't fight like we did. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I I don't think we disagree enough. Uh we got one commentary from uh at at, at a big conference of ours uh, the last conference we all went to and uh a listener was like, "You know, you guys are really good when you don't agree so much." And I'm like, "Yeah, but we <laughs> we you all convinces me of everything. I, I start off hot and then I'm like, "Yeah, you're right, you well, I'm 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 wrong."
1: Um, I'm just too persuasive. That's the the main problem with our podcast, I would say is uh, my superfluous persuasiveness. Look, man, you're always the one who yells at me, uh, speaking of fighting, though, about starting with the content before we talk about drinking. And I just want to (laughs) point out, we have not, nobody's discussed what they're drinking.
0: That is a failure on my part. Uh, Well, who wants to start? Who wants to tell us what they're drinking?
1: Uh, well, I'll start. Um, I have a uh, French Canadian beer uh, from the brewer Unibrew, a uh, uh, Fin du Monde, and uh, it's nine uh, percent. So I don't know. I'm, I have ambitions to drink too, but we'll see how that goes. That's it's kind of a lot.
0: He's 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 trying extra hard for you guys because normally he's like nine percent. I'm out after a half.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like I I just don't want to lose uh, face in front of Tamler. You know. I I care what he thinks about me.
2: (laughs) You have a long way to go there with the drink. Yeah,
1: thank you. I I see you judging me. I see your tiny face over there
3: (laughs) judging me.
0: Uh, All right. I'm, uh, I've got a couple of things. I'm, you know, because I'm uh, still a 19 year old fraternity boy. I'm, I started with a Jägermeister uh, just because why not? Um, But what I'm truly drinking is my neighbor, uh, Pat Reed, who's a, a director of movies, um, of documentary movies. Uh his brother, uh so he gave me some beer that his brother brews. It's called Farmer in the Sky. It's a uh from True History Brewing, a dry hopped pilsner. Uh and I've had like he's brought like like lots of these, 24 of these or something. So I've been drinking a lot of these and these are pretty yummy. Damler what do you what do you got?
2: Well I have uh Basil Hayden on the Oh, rocks. nice. That's a, Basil uh, that's, nice. bourbon, that's a good yeah. bourbon.
1: I, I wouldn't put ice in it, but I'm just generally not a nice person.
2: Yeah, well, I thought, you know, we'd get started a little earlier. so Oh, you know, I, I it see. Wouldn't have, it wouldn't have melted as, as <laughs> much. <mentioned. laughs>
1: so uh, your watery bourbon is the fault of our incompetence, is, is what
2: you're saying. Good. good, good. Uh, implying, yeah. more than saying.
3: Uh, yeah. I, <line>. All right, David, you're you're the only one left. I think I'm committing sacrilege here. I'm drinking Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, from, oh nice. I I had a double espresso to prepare for you guys and now I'm drinking a Chilean Sauvignon Blanc from a it's called Casa Julia. And I might switch to bourbon though. I, I fully admit, depending on how this goes.
1: Nice. You know when we had Scott Barry Kaufman on, he drank white wine and he got fucked up.
3: So he sounded fucked up.
2: Is that what led him to, like, drunk tweet like that, you know, with the people who have high Q aren't necessarily superior? (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) He went on a bender starting with when we recorded our show, and it's just been lost weekend, you know, ever since. Okay, so uh, we, I feel, uh, have uh, a lot to talk about, Um, and we thought we'd start with a little bit of follow-up from... Mickey, was it our last episode where we talked about... Intervention? No, because that was Scott. So it was the episode before that, where we talked about intervention and specifically, what can psychological science do in in our current situation with COVID-19? Like, to what extent should we, can we be giving advice to policymakers or to maybe the public uh, from um, a psychologist's perspective? So we were, I guess, a bit critical in that episode of a paper that rob willer was a co-author on friend of the show and former guest and he wrote us i i would say a very nice email um I, i'm not sure do we have permission to quote from that
0: i th- i think so and and fuck it who cares all right that's right fuck you rob <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Remind
2: me not to send you any emails <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, uh, there is no off the record um, yeah so do you want to talk about uh what he uh what his feedback was
0: yeah, so I mean, a little context. So, yeah, as you said, we we, uh, I mean, we were critical, but I thought we are also generous. I mean, we were essentially saying, like this 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 document, this this paper that was published now published in Nature Human Behavior, as almost like a textbook or encyclopedia of various things that you know social science uh, could or behavioral science more broadly um, could offer in a pandemic. And we were like, we weren't sure. What was useful, um, given I think uh, the replication crisis, the the major problems that we discuss a lot in in the podcast, it wasn't clear whether we should have the confidence in even giving advice. Um, so I think his responses were that uh, I think what is obvious to us, you all, you and I, and maybe maybe to to all of the four of us, um, is not necessarily obvious to policymakers. Um, so, uh, you know, at least the way he perceived things, they were, you know, he he had spoken to Twitter. I think, uh, J. Van Bevel had spoken to the World Health Organization. Um, and it seemed like, you know, people were really receptive to their ideas. And, And in fact, I think we maybe, uh, undervalue what we can offer because we're, you know, we're, we're kind of swimming in this stuff. So I think that was one of his comments. Um, and then uh, I think he did, he did, I think, admit that uh, the, in the UK, for example, where I think they had some behavioral scientists uh, giving advice about, you know, developing herd immunity um, and that, you know, essentially, you know, arguing against locking down. And he admitted that probably did cost lives, um, but uh, but said that might have been half-baked ideas anyways, It wasn't necessarily coming uh, directly from like well-thought-out, well-researched uh, social science. So he's kind of pushing back, saying that um, we might be surprised how, uh, how much information we do actually have, how much knowledge we have generated, and how receptive people are to it. So what did, what did you think of those comments?
1: Yeah, so I, I do worry about um, our perceptions of obviousness just being systematically off the mark, so biased by the fact that we know a lot about this. And so something that seems like completely obvious to us might, in fact, not seem as obvious to a layperson, maybe a policymaker. Um, And so it might have value to them. And I, I think that we did you know, say that when we talked about the paper, we're like, hey, this seems like it might be seen as obvious, but, but who knows? Maybe to some people, this might be novel or surprising. Um, I guess more broadly, I, w- I think maybe Tamler is in a position to say more about, well, it, does that argument hold water, right? So you d- or don't have a, a background in psychology. I mean, you have an interest in it, but you don't have formal training in it. Do you look at Psychological findings, and in particular, I don't know if you've read this paper, and say like, well, you know, I could have told you that. Like, you you don't need your fancy behavioral science to, to give that advice.
2: Well, I mean, so if what you're claiming is it gives an existence proof of something, right? And so, and maybe that wasn't obvious to the to policymakers. So it, um, so so that's a contribution. I guess, but you could do an existence proof, like with a like a journalist could do that, and just describe a story, or um, any kind of nonfiction writer could give you an existence proof of something. I think the problem is the reason they're receptive to it is because it has this extra layer of supposed objectivity, which, and I think you both agree, it probably. Doesn't deserve at least with something as complicated and messy as uh, how to handle uh, the you know a COVID break uh, a pandemic,
1: right? So if you say something like, "Well, all else equal, people are more receptive to a persuasive message that comes from uh, a high-status member of their own community," that is a finding. Um that's you know, I mean it's not just one paper, it's you know a body of work that shows that. It's a finding that I believe. But you might also say, like, well, geez, who would have said, you know, go to Joe the drunk that nobody respects?
2: Go like go to like go to your job where that happens all the time. Yeah.
1: Right. So so there I I, you know, I mean, I, I believe the finding, and I guess it's nice to have it empirically verified because maybe there are intuitions that we have that seem obvious that are also false. But, the, but I do wonder about, like, are, are, how much value are you adding by saying we did the studies when it kind of seems like, well, you know, how could you imagine that it would be otherwise?
2: Well, how do, what do you mean it was empirically verified? So I don't know the details here, but I think it, you saying it's empirically verified might be the problem. It's, it was empirically verified in these lab studies, but that doesn't mean it's empirically verified for the domain that it is supposed to be applied here. Yeah,
1: it depends about how close a match you want. Um, I don't know the persuasion literature that well, but they they do more than lab studies, right? So they'll do field studies as well, but they haven't done field studies about COVID in this population, right? So then there's always that kind of gap between what the research shows and like the situation that you're actually trying to affect.
3: Uh, To add to that, I deeply object to Tamler's use of existence proof as something a journalist can provide, because that's exactly not what I think is going on. I think that we do have empirical data that a journalist couldn't provide for some of these uh, phenomena. I think the deep problem is the mistaken thought that what we are doing with existence proofs um, is... In any way related to predicting behavior in complex social environments, I think, I, and we've all talked about this um, b- before. But I, I think, look, we're we're trying to explain a small sliver of human behavior. If we can get, if we can get any predictive validity in constrained environments, I'm happy because it tells us something about the mind. But here's where I think I'll deeply agree with probably what Tamler will conclude, even though the way he got there is so deeply flawed, um, is that it's bullshit that we can say anything about this. I'm sorry, it's bullshit. And moreover, you both are being wishy washy about this because I think you know. You know this. (laughs) What are we saying? Not only is it obvious that uh, people with authority are going to be more believed. It is exactly true that the opposite is true, and that is obvious and hasn't been documented, right? There are a ton of people believing things, um, being persuaded by bullshit, by complete bullshit. And have we documented that? Do we even need to document that to say that that's going on? Look, I think— If we do intervention studies now, and maybe this is a slight disagreement with Tamler, if we did intervention studies now and we did field testing and said what will get people in this community to wear more masks um, and have like a very nice control group, maybe we could learn something about people's behavior during COVID, right? But until we do that, I think that...
2: I don't disagree yeah. with that, actually. Okay, uh, yeah. so
0: I, hold think, on. I just want to push back. First of all, I mean, I completely agree with everything that's being said, but I don't well, think we that's, can all agree. That's, that's harsh pushback right
2: there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, Whoa. Don't get, don't get personal.
0: <laughs> um, so are you saying, David, um, that you would only trust a study of – measures, interventions to improve compliance with whatever it is, social distancing, let's say, um, in, in, in the COVID pandemic, only if it's done in this time, in this you know, state, uh, that'd be the only kind of data you would trust? Or would you trust, for example, let's say there were studies done uh, when the early, what is it, uh, early 2000s with the first you know, SARS outbreak? Would that be far enough? Yeah. I, you know, I, I would
3: I would take those data as a starting point for sure, um, but I'm still not convinced that the confluence of social variables that are at work now, even ten years ago, are are so different that I think that it's a pipe dream to think that we can. Um, use anything like basic studies, right? Because as, as far as I understand this paper was arguing that there's basic research that, that might matter. And, you know, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. Like we do plenty of judgment decision-making work and I think there are robust effects, but we're not trying to predict real world behavior under a confluence of causes that are clearly up here. We're not, we're not trying that. And I think to the extent that we pretend that that's what we're doing. We're just doing it to try to big up ourselves as being relevant to society.
2: And, And, and Mickey, just to one last thing, uh, like the, like, if you talk about the first SARS breakout, there's no social media then. Right. There's no Twitter. There's barely Facebook, I think, at that time. Like that's such a huge, big difference between the two that even if you did that, that would be so confounding that, yeah, it could only be a starting point, as Dave said.
0: So then is this I mean, so, you know, this is goes back again, something we said, I think, in, the, in that, that episode that we're referring to. Um, I mean, is, all, is what we're doing here history then? right? So we can, you know, if we're going to talk about real world things, we can only talk about them in a really, really constrained way, like, you know, the way Tal Yarkoni talks about what is an appropriate way of talking about findings, super constrained to that one population, to that one period of time, and nothing else? I mean, I, I,
3: I don't think that that extreme is, is what we need to conclude. I think that we are explaining features of the mind when we, you know, as assuming that a study is good, right? Like assuming it was done as as well as we would want it to be done, I think we can say that we're saying something interesting about the human mind. And I, I don't I don't know that we can't generalize that to all human minds, right? Some principles of memory I think generalize to all human minds. It's just that those principles of memory aren't even going to predict memory in the real world that well because like we have a whole shitload of distractions. But I want to ask this: what? How much money would you put on that we could have predicted? any of this shit beforehand like that's the true test of the power of of our findings could we have actually said anything about how the world would react and i think this is all hindsight bias like
2: so i have a potentially inflammatory thing to say it's not history what you're doing but a form of art like that's a compliment (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of a compliment from coming from me it's true So, like, you are getting people to think about stuff that they might not otherwise have thought of in their experience and maybe even understand things. So, like, take something like the Stanford Prison Experiment, which has been abused now or kind of debunked in 18 different ways and was never a controlled experiment to begin with and had to be shut down and all of that right and yet it was in every psychology textbook i taught it i interviewed him i taught i taught it for years in intro to ethics until the last little thing came out that zimbardo Um, ended up like telling the guards to be brutal to them. And then I was like, I don't know if I can do this in good conscience because now it looks like Zimbardo was playing me a little bit. And, but then like, Now I haven't taught it, and I miss it in my intro class because it gets the students thinking about stuff that they actually should be thinking about. And it does, like, give some sort of insight. Even in this twisted way, it gives some sort of insight into the way that we are influenced and how our behavior doesn't come down to whether we're a good or bad person, bad apple. um, And so, like, that's a contribution, but the kind of tragic irony of it is... It, it's only a contribution if you think that it was doing something that it wasn't doing uh, and you only get the students to think about this stuff if they think well but this is science and it has that stamp on it if it was just Lord of the Flies it's not going to it's not going to have that effect because they think that's fiction that's a novel and they think about it in a different way what do you think
0: yeah this is a uh, well, I, I think that's. I think your point is is right on. And this, I think, is something you guys. I think um, talk about a lot in your podcast, where you discuss a lot of you discuss a lot of art, right? And I guess the idea there is that there's lots of wisdom that we can, true knowledge that we can we can get from literature, from film, from poetry, from visual arts. Um, in some ways, um, you know, I wonder if there's better psychology in those media. Um, than in, you know, the the supposedly scientific psychology. It's hard because we really
3: want to have something to distinguish the right ideas from the wrong ideas, you know, because it's like art will have any of a number of ideas. And I think there is deep wisdom there. It's still like, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Like one reason I want to cling to this is because I want an objective way to tease apart the ideas that were right and the ideas that were, you know, David Lynch.
1: Yeah, I... um I don't see that really applying to most research that's actually done in in psychology, right? So you have these like big kind of exhibit studies like the Stanford Prison Experiment or maybe the Milgram Shock Study or whatever that have this like – amazing story to them. And then you have a lot of like little, you know, uh, we're going to give you this thing framed this way or that way. And that's not amenable to that at all. So if you're like, well, what psychology has to contribute is that occasionally we come up with a nice story that you can tell the undergraduates, then kind of rules out most of what we're actually doing.
2: Right. No, I agree. Like, and, and a lot of this stuff wouldn't even be interesting if, you know, there was some like real solid scientific basis for it, but, or at, at the very most in the very constrained way that Dave is interested in what psychology can offer. My point is, and I, and I don't mean this to sound too complimentary. Like when, when Mickey said that art sometimes does better psychology than psychology does, I think sometimes that's true, but it's also more honest about it. Art doesn't pretend to be something it isn't. Whereas I think uh, it, it seems like, and i and I feel like you guys, at least part of you, agree with this that it's pretending to be something it isn't.
0: Well, maybe maybe like uh, one way to illustrate this is, so we had this big group of what is it, forty or fifty authors, put together this um, this document about what behavioral science could offer in a in a pandemic. Um, it's already been cited, I think, nearly fifty times. It's unbelievable how how, how, how does this that is, work? You know, Who cited just preprints citing them? I, I guess <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't look at that, but yeah. I, I, I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. Um, now imagine the same project being done by a different discipline. So now imagine we get uh, a bunch of people in the humanities, um, or you know, in English, all you know, people who have you, you know analyzing all the literature on pandemic. So Albert Camus, we got Emily Saint John Mandel, um, and get them put forty or fifty of these scholars together in a room. And what can we derive from these books, from these from these fictions? Um, do we think, uh, A, the advice would be radically different, uh, and B, do we think the advice would be necessarily worse or better, uh, 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 you know, worse from the humanities because it's not quote-unquote scientific, um, and, and better, let's say, from the psychologists?
1: Well... I I mean, uh, it's super weird to me to be the the person who's defending psychological science all of a sudden. But, I mean, it does seem like we have uh, a method and some ideas that... uh, can be tested empirically, right? So, yeah, I think it's problematic to say we did this lab study or even we did a field experiment in some other context and that showed that these sorts of messages were more persuasive and therefore we should definitely do this. But it does suggest a place to start. And then we have a toolkit to say, like, okay, now we actually can try these different things and see which is most effective. And that's something that your humanities people, as much as I love the humanities, Aren't able to do, and uh, David, you consult for a company that does exactly this, right? Be works like, as I understand it, what they do is they work with firms who want to implement some behavior change, and they go to them and they say, "Here are the things that we think might work, and now we have to do a study to see what works in this context," right?
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, uh, but it- one of the things that, that I always try to say in my capacity as that working with B Works is that the tools or the method is what's important. And there we're usually literally looking at the problem that they're looking at, right? We're trying our best to get their customers making the decisions they want to know about. And if we get predictive power, great. And often that's informed by hypotheses from JDM literature. But it's it's actually weird how little... When you look at the JDM literature and you're trying to uh, apply it directly to a real-world problem, it's actually – it seems like there's a million studies on, say, message framing. But a lot of them – well, let's take persuasion because I know a little bit about this just in as much as I've taught social psych and you you guys probably know the same – there's a ton of studies, like in the 70s and 80s, on persuasion. And when you look at the materials, they're all using the same sort of strong versus weak argument about raising tuition on campus. So it seems like there's this wealth of evidence about persuasion, right? And you have a whole theory about you know, central versus peripheral route to persuasion. And you get th- now I'm like looking at the the way in which people have been persuaded by partisanship to not wear masks or to wear masks. I'm like, I don't think there's any difference in this the like authority level of somebody and the celebrity level on whether it's central or peripheral, whether it's going to last a long time or not. I think it's just the wild west out here, man. It's just like, and even a cursory reading of our own literature would would tell us that. Look, what we're trying to do is not really predict the way the world works. Like, you know, I don't know.
2: And, and what? Just to add on to that, what like we haven't talked about, but what? Jess Flake talks about a lot is measurement and metrics and the ways that you even measure whether somebody is high in authoritarianism or high on whatever, like those things, the validity checks for those things are – spotty to non-existent and it's not even totally clear what it even means to test for validity for those things so for those scales and those scales are just used and used and used and a lot of the research is based on those scales being an accurate especially if you're going to apply it to a real world problem those scales being an accurate representation of what it is that you say you're measuring.
1: I mean, I guess it depends on your research area how much of an issue that is, right? So for these kinds of persuasion experiments, it's not like they're relying on measures that aren't kind of face valid, right? It's like, well, now how much are you for tuition fee hikes or whatever? Um, For other stuff, you know, it it really varies. And I I think, um, you know... Jess is a friend of the show and uh, a very smart person and makes a lot of good points. But I think she would be the first to acknowledge that this really varies by field. Like, so social psychology is particularly not that great about this stuff, right? Personality psych uh, is is better, Um a lot of organization behavior research, actually, at least they care a lot about scale validation and they give you shit if you're not using an established measure. So if you just make up your own measure, they get mad. So like, this is... I,
2: I, <laughs> that's so, like, that's such a low standard. <laughs> I, I know, right? If so they, like, if, <laughs> they, if you make up a measure, they get mad. Wow, that's so... That, what integrity. But presumably
3: they're interested... <laughs> pres, presumably it's because those have been validated with behavior. So like, you know, I, I think what you're all saying... Really is like if you're interested in say charitable donations and you your metric is charitable donations that's not that problematic
2: right um, right but if you're if it becomes more problematic in some personality traits for like I don't know empathic or empathic concern then it's not clear what makes an a well validated measure right
3: right but I do think that there is a large body of research that tries at least to study these behaviors directly. And that if there were anything that applied to the COVID thing, it ought to be those kinds of direct, like straight up behavioral measures that we'd be using. So we can sidestep all that stuff. Um, by the way, that, and that, that would be, th- I, I, yeah, I got an email um, from a like journalist person and they were saying, Hey, so when you're, um, when you're looking at whether an experiment was good or not, can you give me like the top three things to distinguish? And I was like, I hate to be the, uh, it's complicated guy, but can you imagine if we could just have a checklist? She was like a checklist of three things to determine whether an experiment was good or
0: not. Uh, what would those even look like? Well, there's a few. I mean, there's so, such low hanging fruit, but you, of course, it's complicated. But you know, sample size, sample number size, one.
3: yeah. But what uh, do you tell a journalist? You know, well, like, well, how do I know whether sample size was good enough? A power analysis. How many zeros are in the number?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, P values. I mean, now we know uh, those are those can be tells. Um, yeah, metrics of measurement. Um, but you're right. Can I different. say something? I've noticed
2: a dynamic on your podcast when you talk about this stuff. Is that although I think Yoel is more critical, more skeptical of some of the methods, Mickey will say things that are really like far, like like where I am, (laughs) and then and he'll believe them. But then, like ten minutes later, it's like you never said it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm a flip flopper, man. I'm like totally wishy washy. Mickey,
3: early on in this podcast, you did, took a scale of well, the Big Five and agreeableness, and talk about validity of scales. Like you, I, I really genuinely believe that there is a bona fide opinion about this stuff that you have in there. But, but you 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 do play the role of diplomatic co host in in an incredible way which I don't think Tamler and I could even pr- pretend to do, but I want to know sometimes. I want to, like, sometimes I want to just text you or you all and be like, but what is Ricky real... Like, what do you really think? You've built, <laughs> you've built your career on social psychology like we have, and, and you've been... Really involved in improving science, and uh, you've been very vocal. I still just don't know whether your pessimism cuts as deep as, as say, Tamler's, or in some cases, you all in mine.
0: Um, that's a, that's a really fucking good question, and I'm still you know figuring it out myself. Like, it, it's 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 to say that this this past like it's been almost a decade now, right, that we've been like talking and thinking about this. Um, and I kind of go you know vacillate, and it, and it's 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 a struggle. It's a struggle to uh, to be, I mean, so invested in a field. I mean, this is like something I deeply, deeply loved, but more and more, you know, I just, I, it's hard for me to, to see this stuff as being valuable. Um, and it's hard to live with that dissonance.
3: Yeah. I was going to say to appeal to a well-validated psychological theory, maybe we're all (laughs) going through dissonance.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny, kind of funny you mention it because I mean, I, I you know, so I'm, uh, well, we'll see if this, 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 this will come out or not. I'm writing an article um, uh, kind of about these issues. Uh, it kind of a standard replication crisis stuff. But it's more like, you know, like social psychologists, I think we just need to shut the fuck up yeah. right now. Like, you know, like there are lives on the line here. We've been debased, like, you know, in terms of like the value of our fields, like, let's not have renewed confidence now. Um, there's still a lot more cleaning up that needs to be done. Um, so I feel that way, but at the same time, I'm still chugging along, running experiments and um, hoping they'll, they'll make a, a small little, little contribution.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm more on the optimistic side, actually. Like, I do think that we have the potential to help because we can come up with useful, testable ideas. And I think at this point where we know really very little Uh, That is a contribution. Now, I do think it's a problem. Uh, So we could say, let's say that you want to um, encourage people to adhere to some sort of like uh, physical distancing recommendation. We could say, based on the research, here's what a persuasion campaign ought to look like. Here's what we think would be most effective. Here's five different messages to try. And then the policymaker could try those different messages and see whether it worked. Now, it could be the case that nothing really works. Um, that's definitely a possibility. But we at least have a framework for saying, what's a plausible candidate?
3: And how can we try those out? We've had, you know, at BE Works, we've had it where the control condition does, performs better than any of our ideas. And that's what I think – that's what I mean when I say like we, like we have to put some trust in the methods that we're using rather than on the ideas that we're generating necessarily where I want to know if we're wrong. And that's one way of knowing that, that we're wrong, um, I think.
0: Yeah. Here's one example where, uh, where I think we've been shown to be uh, – Maybe I may not wrong exactly, but but perhaps misguided. Uh, there's a paper I just saw, and and you and UL, you linked it uh, in our show notes here. Um, it's a paper out of I think, from some economists uh, from Denmark uh, promoting social distancing in the pandemic beyond the good intentions. And here, what's really interesting about this is they actually examine not just intentions but actual behaviors. Um, and they try the standard messaging stuff: message one versus message two. And uh, I think if you frame it. Uh, I think slightly pro-socially, you know, you, if you frame it, this could hurt you and your, and your family. People's intentions to socially distance go up. Um, but uh, not necessarily if you frame it as pro-socially uh, good for strangers. But the rub is that in terms of actual behavior, nothing actually impacts actual behavior, um, which I think is interesting. Um, but what I think is also interesting is that even in this failure they have also confirmed a classic social psychology finding, which is the intention behavior gap. Right, so we win no matter what. Um, <laughs> if you say enough, if you say enough shit, some of it will be true.
1: You know, I, I would say it's hard to change people's behavior, and regardless of what messages people get, uh, they don't change their behavior much. That's useful to know. Maybe then, as a policymaker, you're like, I'm not going to waste my time with a bunch of messaging. I'm going to try other stuff, and so. We, I think that's a contribution. But like, there
0: are opportunity costs here, man. Like, right? Like, so if, if people are wasting their time with, like, the messages that we provide, that means they're, not, they're paying less attention to, you know, epidemiologists yeah, or yeah.
1: public health pe- but, specialists. But uh, policymakers do want to do messaging, right? They're like, we should do public service announcements. We should get out there in the media. We should try and persuade people. And if we can tell them it doesn't look like these persuasive messages really change behavior much, save your money, focus on something else, that's something that's both counter to their intuitions, actually, and I would say quite useful.
2: But the question is, wh- what gives you the license to say that? Um, is it a well-established like, established study that generalizes um, to real-life situations, or is this just something you could say, like a Freudian could say, no, like, it's very hard to influence behavior— um, because a lot of these things are deeply welled into their unconscious, um, and that could equally if they gave it the authority that they give you, that could e- equally get them to um, to act you know to influence their policies in the proper way the The, the problem is is that I think. You get to do this only because you get this extra bit of credibility that it doesn't seem like it is warranted based on just where your field is.
3: But wait, I, right, well, I think – the.
2: sorry, go ahead, Joe.
1: I, I was just going to say the particular paper that Mickey was talking about, they did a field study in that specific yeah. context, right? right? So in that's, that, that that's country, cute. we're going to try these – Right, that's but yeah. that
2: that's so they right they disconfirmed their hypothesis and so if they thought that this thing was going to work they found out it didn't work. Yep. Yeah, but okay, any policymaker can try something and then have it not work. No, right? but, like the but contribution. To no whether will tell you did they don't work.
1: do that? Yeah.
3: Yeah, they don't. I mean, it really is the case that at the like the weakest claim I can make in support of behavioral science here or social science is that we should be collecting data. Like, we should be collecting data all the time, and if we implement some policy, we should be measuring whether it had the intended effect. And I think so long as we're doing that and saying, look, I am the mayor of a city, I want to know whether this is going to make people in my city wear masks more, have a measure of wearing masks more. You know, we were doing this in in Santiago, Chile with... people not paying their fare on buses, right? We just need people on the buses and we need them to count whenever somebody skips out on fare. And look, we may not have the wisdom of, you know, our theories predicting whatever outcomes, but at least we know the outcomes. Like we have we have data. For advertising, for policy, it's crazy how little people pay attention to the actual outcomes. And with advertising, for instance, it's, it's the stakeholders, like the people coming up with the ads, don't give a fuck whether the ad works or not, right? They go on to the next job or, you know, and if it doesn't work, no one wants to admit it because they put a lot of money into that ad. But there is an answer as to whether that ad increased sales or not. There is an answer, We, you know?
2: so So, but then this is just, you're saying use the scientific method yes absolutely um, collect data right yeah. like that's not a distinctive contribution of well psychology. policy just... can't
3: do that without people who are trained in that right and so we're as social right. scientists okay. we that's like that's why fair. i'm saying it's like the minimal like you know
0: pretty low bar but, I, but i'll take it <laughs> but i you know so we've been totally ragging on psychology which i think is totally fair um but, you know, we have a philosopher in the room here, and I want to know what, what philosophy has done. What, what has philosophy done to help, you know, uh, in the current crisis?
2: I mean, we've brought you democracy. We've <laughs> brought you biology. We've brought you physics, really. Like, we've, we started all of it. Um, and today. Look, today, right now. Right now, what are we doing?
0: Other than being on the show, Tamler.
2: I mean, I mean, please, like I am not a defender of philosophy. Wait, wait. If like, you listen to our <laughs> podcast,
0: so you know, actually, uh, to be frank, I, I've, I'm a relatively recent listener, and I hear through rumors eventually, you know, occasionally well will mention how you hate philosophy, <laughs> but I actually don't know why. I don't know the back history.
2: I I don't hate, I I don't hate philosophy. I hate a. Uh, uh, the dominant strand of it which is very it, it is it is and i hate it for related reason like i think it's trying to be like a science so it takes it, it's trying to develop theories and the way it builds up theories is by appealing to intuitions and about concepts and then coming up with counterexamples, which are like you know experiments almost that that are tested against people's intuitions and the whole thing is just like a ponzi scheme it's built on this lie that there is something like knowledge or that there is something like justice that we just have to find through like proper uh, examination of the concepts and appeals to intuitions and that's just not i don't think that's the way the world works i it's it strikes me like with something like knowledge it i can't even get into the head of somebody who thinks that knowledge is this you know this concept that if we can just find the proper definition it'll capture every intuitive time that we use the word knowledge that just like why would you think that i don't get it but it is you know like any field of inquiry you have your baseline things that you it's not that you can't question them because people have but that you know like in like there's no, kuhn talks about like normal science there's normal philosophy and those things don't get questioned um and then when they do like when wittgenstein just attacks that whole framework it gets acknowledged debated for like five or 10 years and then just kind of like, oh, well, we kind of dealt with that and then just kind of forgotten. And it's like the same problems still exist. But, um, you know, and I, I sort of worry like with the replication crisis that, and I'm not the first person to bring this up, but like in a similar way, like, oh, we're dealing, we're improving that. And so that allows you to kind of, Ignore some bigger problems, some like like a deeper um, issue at the heart of you know, and with that the replication crisis is more of a symptom of that. And and we have those like you know somebody solves a particular problem, a particular objection, a particular counterexample and then they forget that wait there's actually a like a, there's a deep sickness at the root <laughs> of this you know
1: okay so i think this is a great place to take a break um, because i need another drink and but i would like to hear what hamler says about the deep sickness at the root of of psychology yeah. this is america don't got you slipping though no.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is Gorilla. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go get the bed. Yeah, yeah, or I'm going to get the pad. Yeah, yeah, I'm so cold, like, yeah. Yeah, I'm so dull like, yeah. we gon' get like, yeah.
1: Welcome back. This is the part of the show where I tell you how to contact us. So we're on Twitter at 4beerspod. You can DM us. You can at mention us. Mickey and I both check that account. If you'd like to email us, our email address is 4 at gmail.com. Again, that'll go to both of us. Finally, our website is 4beers.fireside.fm, where you can listen to our back log and you can also drop us a note there if you like. Uh, Mickey, how are you doing on the beverages?
0: I'm doing all right, but you know, you, you always ask me if you've left anything out, and I always say you haven't, and then I say something else. Hey, did
1: I leave anything out?
0: <laughs> you did, which is I want our listeners, especially for this episode, while while David and Tandler are here, we haven't received a, an actual written review in, in quite some time, and for a while there, uh, you know, we were getting a bunch that were like way better than VBW. I think we need more of those. Like, you know, you in celebration not. of this episode. Don't lie.
3: <laughs> I think you wrote one of them. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Yes. By the
2: way, you guys are great. Yeah, I like you. I, I think you guys have come into your own a little bit. If you could just get off the fence every so often, it would be nice.
0: Well, tell, tell me. So, Tamlo, tell me how I or you all have been on the fence.
2: I just i think there are uh, certain times where, you, like when you were discussing Yarconi's paper, you get to the precipice. And you, you actually go off it. Like, you're, you jump off it, Mickey, but then you, like, somehow levitate back up to the cliff and then are, like, halfway down the mountain at the end of it. And um, Yoel is more like the, I get right to the cliff and then
0: don't totally jump off. So, yeah, that's all. So what would, like—, what would, like... Jumping off the cliff look like would it be like fuck this I'm giving a, I'm I'm quitting my job would that be like a no integrity or?
2: so here's an example I remember this for one some re- weird reason I don't even know if it was that episode but it's at a certain uh, episode you said what we're doing is a little bit of a show like um, for a you were talking about experiments so it could be there was that other episode you did, you did about yeah games experiments. experiments yeah and um, it was like, whoa, whoa, listen to what you just said, you know, like, we're doing a show, like, this isn't real, but we're pretending it's real, that's, um, that's a pretty damning thing to say, but then uh, nothing that really followed built on that. Like, what it means to say, like, the thing that most psychologists do is, is a show, you know?
0: I guess, but I mean, so I, I wouldn't mind, like you know, going deeper here. So what would that look like? I mean, so, okay, so, I mean, I, 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 in my darker moments, I, I truly believe that. I truly believe that, um, you know, I, I think Yarconi said this, you know, we had, we, we, we had these, these numbers that, you know, prop up our verbal statements. Um, right. If we didn't have the numbers, we'd be, you know, in the, in the humanities. Um, so, but how would that look like? How would that look like to totally live with that?
2: Well, I don't know what it would look like to act according to that belief in your field, but um, what it would look like on a podcast is like, <laughs> holy shit! Like we have to reflect what that means that we think this about our field, and like what. And I think you've done some of that. Like you've you have said, all right, we're we're not doing experiments. I've we're we're moving away from that. We're doing some other stuff. I think Dave and his own sort of weaselly way also does uh says that he just chooses a different way of reconciling it which is like i'm not even pretending that these things can generalize to real world scenarios in most cases but um but yeah like i think that's a big thing like i often think this about philosophers when when we get objections about something I think is a really damning objection to an entire line of research, and we're like, yeah, that's pretty good, but then we don't, like, wait, if that's true, then, like, everything we're doing right now is based on, like, a false premise. And um, it's just interesting to wrestle with that, but, like, in terms of how you then conduct your career, um, I yeah, I'm not sure. It's, um,
3: you know, I was saying this during the break, right, when Mickey was asking you about your views on philosophy, that the great thing about philosophy is if you criticize philosophy, you're still doing philosophy. And it is hard, you know, to to sympathize with Mickey, I think, because the three of us all feel this. It, It is, how do I, with integrity, continue doing the things that I am doing without being disingenuous? Like in my lab meetings, I try to make it trickle down and say like, okay, I want to be clear that this is an applied project. I want to be clear that I don't think that this body of work is, is meaningful. UL and I have talked about this. UL has, has stopped relying so much on experiments and is, is relying more on, on sort of these other data collections, non-experimental. But it's, it's tough because, um, man, it's a profession. This is exactly what Thomas Kuhn was right about, right? I mean, this is like what? What if we said I don't? I no longer believe in psychology anymore. Um, we we ought not be doing what we're doing, right? We would be we would be poor citizens of this world.
0: I mean, I think the most intellectually honest thing, you know, I could do would be, I think it would be qualitative work. I think it would be examining cases. Um, focus groups and just kind of describing, I, I think, I think that is real. I think I could, I could stand behind that. Um, but that's not what gets rewarded in our, in our field. And also I don't even know how to do that. Yeah. I actually don't even know how to do that. Yeah. Um, I know how to conduct experiments.
3: Hey, can I interrupt really quickly? Because I don't know if you guys are done with your promo yet, but I want to, uh, I just want to tell you that I got, I have officially contributed a gift to your podcast because when you gave your URL, a little part of me died that Yoel, a good computer nerd, doesn't even have a domain name for your podcast. So as of now, by the time people hear it, if you go to fourbeers.com, it should take you to your podcast. I just wow. per- Oh, my God. That's, yeah.
1: You just did that right now?
3: I while literally you were, just but, while
2: you guys were waxing powder. while you were just like admitting that your field is a sham he gave you it so that's a good consolation prize right
0: oh my god thank you thank you um so wait hold on maybe before we get you know even deeper let's just talk real quick about what we're drinking oh um,
1: we're fucking uh, up the ordering so badly here <laughs> i know
0: is... i know it's okay it's chaos it's chaos uh so i'm i've got my local uh Bellwood Brewery, which I love. I got a Roman candle. It's, uh, it's a really, really uh, hoppy IPA.
1: Nice. I went and got a glass of rosé from the fridge. So, you know, come at me, haters.
2: <laughs> I have another big pour of Basil Hayden's.
3: And I am continuing. I am Scott Barry Kaufmaning myself by having a second glass of wine. So, um, are,
1: I guess it's, this is so such an unusual experience for me to be the one who's maybe the most positive about our field in the group. Like, I I think, Tamler, you know, you correctly pick up on a lot of problems with how research is done. But to me, that doesn't mean it's in principle impossible. It just means we need to do it better. And I do think that we can, in a limited way, discover some useful facts about human behavior and the the problem is that people want to i think generalize too broadly from our lab studies and they're much too ready to give broad advice from those lab studies but i think there's a way to do lab studies well that tell you something interesting about how people think and if you do them correctly then over time you can start to build a science that Tells you some things under some circumstances, even though we realize that people are really complicated, and so we're never going to have like a broad physical type of law, like gravity, that applies in the same way to human behavior. Who got to you? Who (laughs) Who got to you? What did they do? Was it was it Paul Bloom? (laughs) You know, the APA has been mailing me checks in order (laughs) to (laughs) spout their fucking party line. It's I don't think we need
0: Paul here. I think Paul would be a true defender. Uh, uh, Yeah. A voice of reason. It's funny because yeah, he's I- he's the old guard. I, yeah,
3: but I also think that, that, Yoel, you are giving up more in the generalizability discussion than I would ever give up. So, so I, it's hard to know. You know what, Tamler, there's no one scale that could capture the diversity of opinion here. This maybe-
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I do think, like, Yoel, that, that, yeah, what you're saying now doesn't match what you were saying when you came on our podcast, what, you're, what you've been saying on Two Psychologists, Four Beers. Tamler, like, Tamler
3: is, by the way, a champion of consistency. So it's very <laughs> obvious why. <laughs> right, <he's- laughs> no, that's fine. If you're in some new
2: aphoristic stage, you know, reinventing yourself in a different way, I respect that. That's, like, cool. <laughs> well,
1: I, it's it, it's true that I have a very poor memory and often forget the things that I say. But to me, I, I think it's all about being well calibrated about your claims. And I, I think one of the big problems um, that we've had and, and continue to have is that people want to generalize too much from their data. But You know, that to me is also a, a fixable problem, right? So if you're more modest about the claims that you're entitled to make on the basis of your data, then I think we can make progress, right? So in other words, like I don't share your skepticism that, so much of human behavior is just fundamentally unmeasurable, which I feel like is where you're you're getting to right like how in principle could we ever measure this in a reliable and valid way i I don't think that's right for
2: valid way is the key right uh, like
1: right so so i i think it you know, there is kind of a formal process for establishing the validity of a measure that most social psychologists don't follow right as a field we're really bad at that, but that doesn't mean you can't do
2: it um, so th- well but it's not totally clear what what justifies it i guess is my would be my claim um, and it seems like it's a lot of stats and a lot of numbers, but not a lot of theoretical. I, um, I don't know, grounding for this, the way that you generalize or the way that you say this lab result actually, we have reason to think it applies in a broader context, in a real world context. Right.
1: So, you know, when it comes to, I, I have some lab experiment and I want to generalize there, I, I think often, particularly in the discussion section, people go beyond their data in a, in a way that that's not great. And there's sort of like, you know, you were talking about like what are the conventions of a field? And there's a sort of a convention in the field that you get to sort of speculate wildly in the GD. And uh, the reviewers don't, you know, they give you, give you more of a pass on it. Right. But then yeah, it seems like a lot of your skepticism is about how could I ever have a scale to measure construct X, and right. there, which,
3: which is very different than the generalizability concern. Yeah. Like, don't, don't move your target.
2: Right. No, well, I, I think of generalizability different. And I think this is a technical term that maybe I have wrong, but like when you're talking about um, generalizability of the construct to the real world phenomenon, to me that's an issue of generalizability. To you guys, that's like generalizability is just if it works in this community or this country, then it'll work in other countries or if it works in this. And I'm saying that like even the idea of just measuring somebody's empathy, I don't think you have a great way of determining whether you're actually me- uh, measuring somebody's empathy or like, like how those scales, I, I'm open to being wrong about this. Cause I'm not like, I'm new to this, um, area, but I, like. how do you know if this actually measures somebody's empathy? Dave, we've talked about this with regard to belief in free will yeah. or belief in, um, and you see a lot of those, but like narcissism or like, how do you know if these things are actually measuring something um, that like, there's a lot of numbers and there's a lot of uh, statistical stuff that you can do. But at a certain point, you need to explain how that's, supposed to map
3: okay my so my concern right here is that you are picking things that are in fact difficult to validate so what is it when we ask what does it mean to be someone high in empathy the answer to that is unclear but let's take let's take something um that we're we're familiar with here like something like disgust sensitivity um This You can have a scale that says there's an individual difference in the degree to which people will be easily disgusted. What we want to know is, is this a valid scale? And so the work people have done now, maybe they've done it poorly. Maybe there's not enough work on it. But I think a very straightforward way is to actually measure a bunch of instances in which people might be disgusted. Right, you, you actually give them gross things, and you see if that scale with face-valid items actually predicts their behavior when presented with these disgusting things. Now, there will always be the further question of how many different disgusting things in what context. You, there are all these, but those are just difficult, not intractable. And I think for a lot of psychological constructs, we can go from either a super face-valid behavior that we're measuring... To a you know like a theoretical construct that has a clear answer as to like what would it mean for this scale to be valid, and I, do, I, I don't disagree with you though that there are extraordinary measurement problems when you get to the more nebulous things, like you know, what does it mean to be an empathic person? We don't even have an answer to that but yeah. right,
1: although is that you know, impossible in, in principle? I, I think it's a question of like defining the construct in a way that makes it. The is, yeah,
3: everybody disagrees about what empathy right. is. Right, yeah. right.
1: But you could say, in theory, you know, if I have an idea of empathy that uh, I'm upset by suffering, for example, um, I'm more likely to pick up on the feelings of somebody else. Um, all of those ideas, like you could put those together into like a coherent, like a logical construct of empathy that you could measure by self-report, let's say, and then you could say, like, okay. Does the self-report scale predict the things it should predict? Are those people who score high on that scale actually more upset when you show them a video of, uh, that depicts a suffering victim, for example?
2: But then you have to scale upset. Right. And then you have to see
1: so you can and you can triangulate on that in different ways, right? So like would observers say this person looks upset? Do they say they're upset? Do they show physiological signs of upsetness? Right. And no one measure is perfect, but by triangulating all of them you can get some picture of this construct, which admittedly is tough to measure because it only exists in people's heads. But you can also ask other people, right? You can ask other people, you know,
0: is Yoel is empathic? Right. Yeah. Is Hamler empathic? You can look at actual um, behavior.
1: Like, are these people who are more likely to help in a situation where help is needed? Do they say they donate more of their income to charity, right? Like, and again, none of those individual things is perfect, but you can put it together to triangulate on this construct.
2: But But the way you put it together, I guess, is the question of... Like, you can say in principle it's possible, even if in practice we're not that close to it. But then, like, anything is possible in principle. Anything is possible theoretically. Like, that becomes unfalsifiable.
3: No, wait. I don't think anything is possible that way.
2: Well, okay. Maybe not anything, but a lot of things are possible. I guess,
3: like, to me it's
1: important that there's tests that can be failed. Right, so you can put together your scale, and you can discover that it really doesn't predict people's behavior at all, or the self-report measure doesn't correlate at all with what the person's friends describe them as, for example.
2: Well, so that's a good one actually, and actually specifically to the empathy one, right? right? So, like, yeah, so that's like I, I think that's a good way and. But then even just like saying that that's a good way, that's like my intuition, that that's a good way for empathy. So at a certain level, you are getting to the questions of what's intuitive face validity. And yeah, I mean, I think that's just stuff that can be worked out. But like you're at a level right now that most people don't even come close to reflecting on, right? I I
3: don't know. I think we're trained in this. Whether we do it well is not, you know, that's totally up for grabs. There's another issue, though, Tamler, that I think that you sometimes get to, which I think is a related one that that could be problematic, and that is whether or not there is some deeper truth to saying that you are somebody who's higher in empathy. And by that, I mean, you could say, for instance, you could rate us all in attractiveness right here. So you could say, like, get a get a, a thousand people to rate pictures of Tamler, David, Mickey, Yoel, and have an a, a, a quote unquote objective measure of attractiveness. You could say you, there's widespread agreement about this i'm laughing (laughs) definitely the question of whether or not attractiveness is an objective thing is still a it's a different question
2: and so yeah i agree that's true but i feel like that's not the that's a that's a different problem
3: I, it is a different problem. I just want to at least distinguish it because so long as you had agreement from everybody that empathy was the, the reaction you have when you see somebody else in pain, and you, so long as you have that, I think we're on solid grounds arguing that if we measure those responses and the scale predicts that, that we have a measure of empathy. And I don't think it's any magical reliance on intuition. That's just simply we are setting out to study this specific thing. Right. And can we measure that specific thing? Well, Um, so Tamler, I mean, I, I take your
1: skepticism that like, well, you know, do people actually do this? And I would say the example of people actually doing is there's a lot of personality psych. Where yeah. This is ac- exactly the approach they take. Right. So they have a self-report measure, but they, then they try and validate it with informant reports at all. So friends and acquaintances, uh, they look at behavioral consequences and that's just kind of baked into how they think about um, measuring constructs. And it's not like social psych couldn't do that. It's just we're not incentivized to. It's a, it's a lot of work, right? And it really slows you down. And so if you can publish a paper where the scale that you use is you know barely validated, then you're going to do that because it's easier if the reviewers don't demand otherwise, right? So it's really more about the norms of the discipline to me. And those are things that you can change.
2: But if, if you did that, So, if you became like that, so much of social social psychology wouldn't exist because you're not going to do that for authoritarian personality because there's no like, right? Like, there's no scale that's going to measure somebody's uh, uh, authoritarian. This is where your point, Dave, I think is absolutely right is like how you define that um, is going to be based on your particular perspective and probably your political orientation so so like there's a ton of things that you're just are just going to be completely excluded um if if you do something like that
3: dude here it here is where like yeah i'll give a standing ovation to that and moreover you because you're not in our field don't even have the the smallest glimpse of how many social psych studies are bullshit on those grounds specifically. I Like if if you wanted to go and code for all of the times that people said um, the PANS, P- the PANIS is a measure of emotion and we used it as a meeting or variable and we showed that emotion doesn't work. It is uh, depressingly high. So like, I think you're right. I think what we're... If I correct me if I'm wrong, what we're all saying is that it's not a problem that's in principle. It's a deep problem in practice.:
1: Yeah, I agree with that. But you know, I, I think the authoritarian example, authoritarianism, actually isn't a particularly good one um because there there's an old fascist scale. <laughs> because fascism <laughs> is great is my point yoel
2: definitely something some something's happened to <laughs> yoel since uh, i have last talked to him last heard him like this is this is really chilling right now what i'm what i'm hearing out of yoel <laughs> I've,
1: I've taken the the, 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 yeah.
2: the, the rose rose pill
1: yeah, yeah, the urging of elon musk you took the yeah. rosé yeah. Yeah.
3: pill
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. um, so yeah, so this scale, there's there's an old scale by Adorno and colleagues, the F scale, and everybody agrees that that's bad. Um, and then there's a scale from Altemeyer, the right wing authoritarianism scale. And people also agree that that has serious problems. And there's been new scales developed to try and measure that. Construct or actually, really the like a set of related things that that skill lumps together in a more precise way. And there's new, better measures, and the way that they try and validate those measures is to see what else do they correlate with, what other self-report measures, what behaviors, and so on and so forth. So that's an area in which people like do care about measurement, and which I would say it is possible to measure it.
2: But but, but Yoel, know, we just got we just got sent this article from a listener. Uh, in the Journal of Research and Personality, Escape from freedom, authoritarianism, related traits, political ideology, personality and belief in free will and determinism and they find here testing Adorno 's um, hypothesis and by the way, I have nothing bad to say about Adorno. I want to look into him, but um, the that uh, if you you know if you if you 're high on the deterministic fatalistic belief, and I looked at those scales, then you are going, you are more likely to be uh, more authoritarian in your traits. Like, this is out there. They're not, it's not like your your field is like, okay, we got to really figure this out. They think they have. If you look at this study, like, they think they have, like, addressed the problems with Adorno's original scale, which was 70 years ago, and... And, and now they have something that, that they can work with. That's always what happens in these situations. And, part, and, and it's – well, it's a lot. Like they're like, oh, we know that there were problems with the earlier things, but now we've figured it out. And I think like the, they haven't gotten to the root of the problem with that in the first place, which is I think like how do you measure – Uh, how authoritarian a person is. Like, that's not something you can ask a friend. I don't know how authoritarian Dave is. I don't know how authoritarian like my wife is probably pretty authoritarian if I had to guess, but
0: I wouldn't want like, but wait hold on. Why? Why? I mean, why couldn't you ask a, a collection of people who are friends with David or UL and ask them or their children or their spouse you don't think they have reliable information that's actually real about them? Because, yeah, like
2: I bet I like if I bet if I asked like Yoel's friend from high school how authoritarian Yoel is, if he took it seriously, he'd be like, "What do you mean?" And then for me to get more specific about that, I would have to start going into the actual things that the scale is supposed to measure. But like. Like I don't think people have like holistic judgments about how author- authoritarian somebody is, or or what their authoritarian traits are.
1: Yeah, so I I think that's that's right. Um, and some of the newer measures, like one that I like, tries to break that apart into more specific things. Where I think you could say, um, ask somebody who knows the person, and it wouldn't be a nonsensical question. So, for example, one component of the right-wing authoritarianism skill is just traditionalism, right? So, like, how much do you want adhere to cultural norms and traditions versus everybody do their own thing, you know, live your best crazy lifestyle? And that's something I could tell you about a person, right? Are they having swinger sex parties or are they, you know, buttoned up uh, living in the suburbs with two kids, Wait, right? Which, like which that, one that, am that... I? Which one am I? <laughs> 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 Not for on air, David. <laughs> Not for on air. So so I think your point is right. You know, when a construct is nebulous and badly defined, then yeah, it, it seems like how would you reasonably make a judgment about whether a person is high or low in it? But if you define it well, then I, I don't think it seems crazy.
2: Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, but then what you're talking about is like openness versus traditionalist. That's different from authoritarian. Like that's just your personality, right like
1: sure and 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 that's that's what this work does is it tries to unpack like the argument they make is like you know people have measured this kind of broad set of like their partly values they're partly uh, personality traits and they've been conflated by this measure and we can tease them apart by measuring the right things right so if your point is that yeah people use bad measures sometimes then absolutely If your point is that bad measures stay in the literature for too long because of precedent and tradition, yeah I hundred percent agree with that but that to me doesn't mean that you can't do it better because there are examples of doing it
2: better You could do it better but the question is whether you could do it well enough to support like what this study is saying that, uh, people who believe in determinism are more likely to be high in authoritarianism. Like I, you know, at a certain point, the variables and the noise and the confounds and all of that just starts to be, yes, in principle, like Laplace's demon maybe could do it, but, um, but, but it's not going to happen for, Um, in social psychology and you can't just keep falling back on well yeah this was ridiculous but if we just do this better then like because at a certain point you have to like but, show the results, but that arg- it really is possible.
3: Your argument is turned into a boring ad hoc critique of a particular paper or a particular construct. Like, I think it really matters that there are measures, like, it, there is an answer to whether the disgust sensitivity scale predicts people's response to disgusting, putatively disgusting things. There is just an answer to that. And sure, there's noise, like, if I measure disgust sensitivity, and there's noise if I measure conservatism, but that is a reliable relationship. And there is no problem with there being noise in measurement that, that that prevents us from learning something that might be deeply true so long as we are doing our due diligence. And the people who are supposed to do their due diligence are the ones who are trained in exactly this. But the 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 critique that there are a lot of constructs that people are doing poorly is simply one that like is – readily offered by many people like any journal club meeting that we have like we point these things out like we we well
2: yoel to be fair yoel was defending the authoritarianism he said it was a bad example he said it was a good scale that they've been working it's like a success story for social psychology and um, so that's why I was harping on that. Like I don't know about the disgust sensitivity, um
3: but it's doable. That's all I'm saying is you I don't think you yeah. want your argument to be just about authoritarianism like
0: and I wonder tamler if, if 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 is it possible that you're 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 coming to this this you know this argument because your listeners are sending you like the bad stuff. Like the stuff that's like egregiously. See, like, this
2: is what you do, Mickey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is this is so
2: classic, Mickey, right here. It's like but oh I, my actually,
0: I'm totally not. With I you had on just.
2: Said, uh, well, no, you were before. Now no, you're I'm with not. you on generalizability.
0: I, I think we're thinking about generalizability differently. Like the differently. Mento I, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what I said ten minutes ago. Um, no, but I, I mean. I, I really, I mean, I think all of us are, I, I we're ganging up on you now. Um, I, I do think like, you know, if you look at good work and especially in personality, I mean, I do think we can, I really do think we can measure things. Truly. It's true. It depends on the theories. And there's a lot of assumptions baked into those theories, um, but I'm not sure how else we can go about it. Um and, yes, there are going to be bad examples, uh, and they're funny, and they're hilarious, and your listeners send you those. But there's also really good examples, uh, I, I, I believe. Um, so I don't think – yeah, sorry.
2: No, I mean, I, I think this is totally fair criticism, and I'm shooting from the hip, and I've had a lot of bourbon at this stage. But
0: – Not enough, Um <laughs> uh,
2: Not to mention, like, an edible. Ooh. But uh, – <laughs>
0: Dude, had you told me mm-hmm. this, I would have told mm-hmm. you, been <laughs> yes, but you To if be
2: fair,
3: um, this is when Tamlers at his best, so it's not it's <laughs> not a self handicapping argument. This is an explanation for him shining. Anything right now. that I
2: say that you guys can refute right now is <laughs> it's just the edibles. Like you, you wouldn't have. This is what like I'm just making incremental progress. You know, like just because I'm not doing it well now doesn't mean in principle I couldn't do it well. You know. <laughs> So wait, now I've. But this is the problem. (laughs) Now I forgot what I I had some like devastating point to say to what to what you just said.
1: This is this is the point that we wanted to get to. (laughs) Um, I I will say, like, I guess taking your side a little bit. um, Maybe psychology is uh, unusual in the sense that you can publish stuff that's that's basically incoherent or uninformative (laughs) because the measures are so bad. Yeah. Right. Like, and this is not about this paper specifically, which I haven't read and don't know anything about, but like, we've seen it. And maybe in physics, it's just not possible to publish something that's like completely misguided in that way. I don't know. I'm not a physicist. Right. And I think that that does reflect like the kind of more primitive state that we're in in being able to measure the things that we care about and it's possible that we do a study that operationalizes those measures so badly that it's basically just worthless
2: but I also think you guys haven't reflected enough about what it means to operationalize something like authoritarianism you know authoritarian tendencies that's, like that's that's unfair
3: we've reflected a lot I think your criticism is better aimed by saying we haven't we haven't done
2: anything about it. Well, (laughs) but, but there could be like, so Mickey, you said, what a, how else are we going to do it? The answer could be, there's no other way to do it. You just can't do it. So stop, trying to do it or pretending that you can do it or pretending that you're just you it's just out of your reach but you can actually like if you just refine this scale or do like improve this technique or like increase the statistical power now i'm just making (laughs) up terms but like then then you'll then, then you'll get there like that's the holy grail like that's at that point it's it's more faith than science no we have gotten there we have gotten
3: there for some things Like, that's what I don't, I don't understand your, uh, like visual things. uh, No, I mean, look, there is an answer to whether disgust sensitivity scale predicts disgust behavior in the real world. No, I mean, this is just, this is like, I think you're falling back on the nebulous examples because you're right that they're
2: hard, but that doesn't mean that, that we can't. But there's a reason why these things are allowed to pass through, I guess is my point. It's not an accident that these things are passing through in psychology in a way that they're maybe not in other fields or maybe they are. Like maybe they are in medicine and in um, – in, Why
0: is that? Why do you think that is?
2: I, I, I don't know exactly. But I think it has something to do with the fact that, well, it's an experiment. It's science. There's data. So it's real. Even if the assumptions that are grounding it are not themselves empirically verified, and so then you know this is you know like I called philosophy a Ponzi scheme. I think you could say the same about some social sciences, but not necessarily not discuss sensitivity. Like no,
3: but but wait, but. So forget discuss sensitivity because I, I realize that it sounds like I'm defending what I do, but but I really mean that there are scales that are s- super easy to assess whether or not they're good scales, and so I don't. I, what I'm trying to get is what you make of that. Those cases, do you really think that those what about aren't, the big five? Yeah, do you really think that those aren't measuring what they people say they're measuring?
2: So, like the big five of um,
0: basic personality dimensions. So conscientiousness neuroticism openness etc
2: so i don't know like i think it's hard to know like what neuroticism is neuroticism is now defined according to those scales so yeah if it's defined that way then yes it's measuring it that
0: so is the problem the, the 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 definition of it is it the theory behind it or is it like i mean i can i can buy that i can buy like our definitions are incorrect I believe once we've defined something with some consensus, we can noisily measure a thing. Right. But,
2: but the, the thing that, that makes it of interest to the, to the rest of the world is that the way you've defined it maps on to the way the world has defined it uh, to, to some significant degree. And I think that's the, that's the part. Now I'm not saying you guys have never done that. And maybe you have for some of the big five scale. I think neuroticism is a tough one for that because again, I don't think there is like a settled definition. And to the extent that there is, it's now informed by your scales. But I think you guys have a bias to, uh, define something according to what it is measurable. And if, if the thing isn't measurable, then you're not going to define it in that way. You're going to define it in a way that you can uh, find a way to measure that, uh, define it in a more quantifiable way. And, um, and so then it, becomes, then it becomes reified by the fact that, well, yes, they're neurotic because they tested that way on the scale.
0: Do you honestly think there are some things that we just absolutely cannot measure at all?
2: Well, I'm not a Platonist, so I don't – like, yeah, I think there might be. Like, I don't think you can accurately measure how much a couple is in love, for example. Do you think that? I I do.
3: It's hmm. uh, it's just the uh neural activity
2: involved in that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but let's take something – you know, personality is – Too it's, messy. <laughs> <laughs> by too you
0: know messy. I mean? Do you really think that? I do. I, I mean, it's again, it's going to be a, a really shallow approximation of maybe like the, 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 the phenomena, but I think we can approximate it. And I don't think the, uh, I agree, there's lots of noise, it's not going to be perfect, but I, yeah, I do. I, I think we can measure it.
2: You think you could do a better job than somebody who just watched the couple and just took down their own impressions? All the different, like, you think a scale would do a better job than just people observing them and coming to their intuitive judgment?
0: I think the intuitive judgments of other people is part of how you might measure something.
2: But, like, just a a, a therapist, for example. So it's just one person. You think you can do better than just a therapist looking at a couple and getting their you know, interacting with them.
0: I'm not sure why you're separating these two things. I think like your own report of how much, in, how in love you are with your spouse, let's say, an informant, an informant's view of how much, a therapist, let's say, is view of how much you are in love with your spouse. They all inform the construct, the latent construct of the thing. Yeah, except all those are, are in, uh, lots of noise. But there's also I think there's some signal in each of those. But
2: you can't tell if it's a discerning therapist or a bullshitter therapist, if it's a friend that really knows them or cares like the the construct, the measure can't distinguish between those things and I'm asking like somebody who's like good at their job but not because they've done a lot of empirical tests but because they've talked to a lot of couples and they've seen a lot of people and they're like th- the construct can't say okay we're just the measurement scale can't just say we're just going to ask the like good therapists um what they think about this couple right like they have to get um they have to get self like just by this i don't know if this is in principle or in practice definition but the truth is right like you you have to find some way of distinguishing and I'll, and i'm just stipulating that this therapist has seen a lot of people and helped a lot of people and knows um or a novelist or whoever i like i don't like i'm not sure i guess that's the scale that's the not the scale the standard can you do better than that and if you can't then i don't know yeah I, I fear that the, the conversation
3: gets really complicated when we're talking about things like being in love or even talking about personality constructs. I, I, I really do think that if, if we can agree that something like, I forget what the name of the scale is, but take like the restricted eating scale, like whether or not people are, are you know, being very, very conscientious about restrained it. eating. Um, if the restrained eating scale, Right that's a construct some there's a claim there that's that's explicit that is some that some people are more monitoring and careful about what they eat. You ask these people like say ten questions about their their diet, and you get this individual difference, and you just do a study to see whether those people are actually eating less, whether it's in the lab or whether it's naturalistic observation there is i, I what I don't understand Hamler is what the problem is with just. Finding out whether that restrained eating scale predicts
2: actual behavior, and then there's no problem with that. Okay, it's like that's, but that's like asking me like like analytics works in baseball. Like why why like do you have a problem with analytics?
3: But and that's baseball? a construct that is measured, that is assessed by reliability indices. It's assessed by validity validity criteria, and that is a whole shit ton of psychology is done with that level of scale.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I have to no the details of it but the way you describe it doesn't sound objectionable to me it just so so maybe my objection applies to things that are a little more complex yeah and that don't have an obvious behavioral um correlate okay okay that
0: I feel we're like we're in a cage match here, <laughs> and we're all picking on Tamler. No, 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 no. Like, I'm going to be that Jimmy Superfly <laughs> Snooka here. <Yeah. laughs> like, jump from the, from the top of the cage. That's, that's what I want to uh, do. I, I, um, I think that getting
3: to the bottom of, of the objections is actually really important work. And I, I take the spirit of Tamler's objections to be pushing us to actually do this kind of work, which is something that, you know, I don't know. Here's a question for you, Mickey. Do you talk about this shit in your lab meetings? About issues of measurement? Issues of just like deeply, are we, are we, are we measuring the things we say we're measuring and do these mental constructs exist? What are we saying?
2: Is this a bit of a show?
0: (laughs) 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 Definitely. It's a bit of a show. I definitely will. I definitely, I think, talk about that. If anything, I worry about, uh, going too far. I worry about like the, you know, the young impressionable minds and like, you know, infecting them with nihilism, um, I, I, I don't talk as much about measurement.
3: Wait, hold on, Mickey. You've just given me a great idea. A measurement of nihilism. Uh, assess <laughs> whether or not your lab is
0: drifting toward nihilism <laughs> over time. <laughs> the, and the, uh, the the behavior is, Where are you willing to cut off a pinky toe? <laughs> so, you know, well, I think we should, like, we've totally mined this. I think we should uh, maybe, you know, think about, you know, Slowly ending, but also maybe uh, asking some some slightly different questions. Uh, what do you think, you will?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Since I'm going to be the one editing this monster, drop- <laughs> <laughs> Ap-
2: apologies, y'all. Apologies. Yeah, yeah. I, I do- love this. This is so great for me. <laughs> it's- like that I don't have to edit this.
0: <laughs> uh-
1: so you want to go, Yoel, well, or should I? Um, why don't you uh, ask a question? Let, let's do a question or two, and then we can wrap it, because we're at a minute, uh, uh, hour 40 already. So,
0: Okay, yeah. So so I'm just going to read the question. I'm not going to say that I endorse <laughs> any part of this question. I'm not even sure who wrote it, because apparently all you guys had uh, access to these questions. Uh, I just got <laughs> access to it like an hour ago. Um, so this is about uh, – the the heading is, you know – IDW avoidance, so intellectual dark, web avoidance. Um, so how do you guys, you know, we're talking about uh, very bad wizards here. Um, how do you guys tackle controversial topics? And I'm quoting now from the, the person who wrote this question, without becoming Sam Harris or Dave Rubin.
3: <laughs> Tamler, go for it.
2: Well, yeah, we don't want that level of... Money, financial success, popularity. And so, <laughs> no, I, I think for me, I have an instinctive, because my stepmother is so, is kind of in that community. And so I have this automatic resistance. I love my stepmother. And I know, and you guys have some weird so thing I. with her too. But <laughs> uh, I, but I, um, I don't know, like it just like there's a kind of a whininess to it. There's a kind that I that I really have a strong resistance to, and I know that I whine about their whininess, but I like just the fact that they think gender studies and critical theory is taking over universities, like. W- is, is, it, it just strikes me as so ludicrous that they <laughs> don't understand that, like, all anybody cares about on real universities is STEM. And they're not like, oh, no, like, you know, we have to have this Marxist interpretation of Plato to, you know, to graduate. Like, that's so not... And the fact that they have imported their their worldview based on, like, what happens to Charles... Murray, or you were guilty of this, Justine Sacco, like when you were talking about it, Mickey, you brought up Justine Sacco, that happened like seven years ago, eight (laughs) years ago, it's like one thing that ever happened, and it's like, yes, these things will happen in an age of social media, but like, let's not pretend that this is a huge trend on campus, because I have never seen it, and I've never, and you know, I would be the victim of it if it was, if the problem was as bad as, as they're saying. So I find it both like I'm temperamentally against it because they whine too much about college and, and, but also just, I think it's just such a warped sense of what really is going on in, on, on campuses. It's probably better when it comes to like certain aspects of me too. um, But even that was only at like the height of it, you know, like the height of that, there were uh, over overreaching maybe like but then even that is just like calmed down as people um, as people regulated their attitudes so yeah that's so that's just where i am like how i react to it how i is just believing that so
1: that must create some tension with david who's obviously a core member of the
2: intellectual dark web He's <laughs> more of an sjw than an idw no
3: uh, according to christina hoff summers i am a snowflake i believe but this this is actually not a super interesting question and i think one that gets to my my like of the podcast format which is look there. We f- we flirt with opinions that are partisan, that could easily be taken up by one group of people and used to champion all sorts of other things. And it's it's not that that hasn't happened. So there are times when our audience members who are kind of right of center will chime in and say that they like liked what we said about this. And there are times when our, our audience that's left of center chimes and says they, they agree uh, about that. I think... The balance there um, honestly might come from the fact that that Tamler and I are a little bit anti establishment and emo about this shit where where partisanship doesn't seem to play a large role in our opinions and i'm not saying that to you know like to blast anybody. I just think that what what ends up happening is that our opinions don't fit in to one or the other, and it's something I certainly talked to you all about because it's not that we have. It's not like we haven't felt the pressure, right? We Temler and I were just talking about this. Was it to, to Sean uh, about uh, putting out a an episode where we talked about Dave Chappelle and how we thought there was not not that much wrong with his latest special. Tons of downloads. And we know that the kind of people who like us saying, you know, like, don't be so soft or snowflakey, we know that we have that listener base. It's my only hope as just somebody who personally believes this is that that listener base who agrees with us there might be a little more willing to listen to us when we say something that's contrary to their, their partisanship. And you know I, again i don't think i'm I'm special or better in that sense. I think that it is perhaps my apathy that drives this, but I, I i I think Tamler and I both and I think you guys are a fan of nuanced conversation. We can have two hour long conversations about something and accept that there are points that don't don't you know that there's some things that we agree with there's some things that we disagree with, and shit's complicated if in fact, if you could sum anything up in the eight years it's shit's complicated right like that's that's what we end up with hey can i can i uh say something unrelated which uh which is Mickey the a uh, couple of episodes ago um you were talking about life under covid. And mm-hmm. you sounded down, man. I was worried for your for your health for your mental health how are how are you doing
0: mm-hmm. uh well, thank you for asking. You're not the first person <laughs> who has asked me about that. I've had a few uh concerned uh people ask me um you know every week is different every day is different uh you know. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't want to say I played it up on that episode. Uh, like I, I, I spoke with intention. Yeah. Um, I definitely wanted to express that you know, things are hard. and can be hard. Um, uh, but today's a good day. Today was sunny, so I feel good.
3: <laughs> yeah. Tamler and I have the benefit that, that we have children, but we, it's single children, like only one child, and they're like 15 years old, which makes a huge difference. Yoel is partying it up. You well, yeah. I've I've been loving it. It's, it's like been great. The best thing that could have happened oh, to completely. you, completely. <laughs> yeah, just rave
1: after rave. You know, <laughs> licking strangers <laughs> nightly.
0: I surpri- mean, I hope this was your fifth drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is not your second. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: No, yeah. I started at ten in the morning. Um, guys, it's been so great having you on. Uh, I want to make sure that there's nothing that we haven't covered that you guys might want to bring up. Did we leave anything out?
2: You seem to be wanting to end the conversation. Yeah, yeah know, we're going to wrap so. the
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> I have so a who asked about... <laughs> yeah, right. So who put in the question about the bromance between Tamler and I? Because I think that's an hilarious question.
3: Uh, me, because you guys have flirted on Twitter in a way that made me feel disgusting <laughs> inside. And uh, and also your your mutual love for the big Lebowski um, I, I can only imagine is fueling some of this bromance.
0: Well, you know, Tam- Tamler, I, I, I definitely, you know, hearing your voice and speaking to you has <laughs> is, is, is been... Uh, a peak experience in my life.
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been better than I expected, and I had really high expectations. You guys are so, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> we should get together. You
0: know? That's right. What is a hero, Tamler?
3: Um, the only thing I'd like to say is we had full intentions of doing this in person, and I'm, it is my deep hope that soon we'll be able to hang out with both yeah. of you in person.
2: The end. Then you can. Then you'll feel worse about ganging up on me like you all did. Uh, just, yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> not
0: really.
2: Nobody does. It will actually, My own like family a, an does. Actual it. suplex. I <laughs> yeah. <will> be nice. <laughs> hey,
3: thank you guys. Thank you guys for having us on. This is really fun. Yeah. Uh, thank thanks you. so much for coming on. I,
1: I, nothing you want to promote?
3: Uh, Fourbeers beerscom I bought the domain name and I had it forward. If you go there right now, in fact, you will see that that it it takes you to four beers.